0: Hey, this is David Meerman Scott here. I'm the author of the eighth edition of the New Rules of Marketing and PR, and you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast.
1: Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which has been named as one of the top marketing podcasts by... Forbes and LinkedIn amongst others. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since I get to read every book featured on the show, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or any other resource I know of for whatever challenge you're facing, send me a LinkedIn connection invite with a message that you're a listener and I will do my best to get you pointed in the right direction. My name again is Douglas Burdett. This episode is sponsored by by marketing architects, creators of the all-inclusive TV advertising concept that's so revolutionary they wrote a book about it. I'll tell you more and how to get a free copy of the book in a few minutes. Now, let's get on with the show. Today, we welcome back David Meerman Scott to talk about the eighth edition of his book, The New Rules of Marketing and PR, How to Use Content Marketing, Podcasting, Social Media, AI, Live Video and Newsjacking to Reach Buyers Directly, published by Wiley. David is an internationally acclaimed business growth strategist whose books and blog are must-reads for professionals seeking to generate attention in ways that grow their businesses. He is the author or co-author of 12 books, including four international bestsellers, including Real-Time Marketing and PR, a Wall Street Journal bestseller, and The New Rules of Sales and Service. He co-authored Marketing the Moon, the inspiration for a PBS American Experience miniseries titled Chasing the Moon, and Marketing Lessons from the Grateful Dead. David's newest book, Fanocracy, How to Turn Fans into Customers and Customers into Fans, another Wall Street Journal bestseller, was co-written with his daughter, Reiko. The New Rules of Marketing and PR now in its eighth edition, has been translated into 29 languages from Albanian to Vietnamese and is used as a text in hundreds of universities and business schools worldwide. It has become a modern business classic with well over 400,000 copies sold to date. And, interesting facts, David has worked on a Wall Street bond trading desk and was a male model he collects artifacts from the Apollo space program and has a lunar module descent engine in his home museum. He has acted in TV commercials and the movies Chappaquiddick and American Hustle, and he even appeared in an opera production by Teatro alla Scala. Shout out to my homies in Milan. David, congratulations on the 8th edition of the New Rules of Marketing and PR, and welcome back to the Marketing Book Podcast.
0: Thank you so much, Douglas. It's awesome to be here. Gosh, when I started writing this book for the first edition in two thousand and five, I never, ever, ever would have believed I would be back again on the Marketing Book Podcast talking about the eighth edition.
1: <laughs> yes, well, <laughs> hopefully super, it's not the last.
0: Super awesome. Actually, it won't be. I mean, this this book has been so interesting to me that it just um, keeps needing to be updated. We're constantly doing new things in marketing and um, and, and I need it to be relevant because if I don't update it, it won't continue to be relevant.
1: That's right. That's right. So I hopefully uh, there's uh, 16 or 20 editions coming. So uh, this is just the, just the eighth stop. And of course, you're a nerd like me, a book nerd <laughs> like me. I read it so carefully because I want to see what's new, what's different, what you've added. Uh, for instance, just to show you what a geek I am, <laughs> the seventh edition was 394 pages. Yeah. And this one is four hundred thirty-four pages.
0: Isn't that interesting? I wonder if that's because they made a bigger font.
1: <laughs> no, no, they, I don't think so. I don't think so. You just you just added some things in, and and I I have to. Just talk about myself for a brief moment here. At the end of every interview with a author on the show, the first time they're on, I always ask a question about, you know, what books have had the biggest impact on their careers? And uh, I'm going to answer that question myself. There's been two. One was Ogilvy on Advertising, which I read in the 1980s after I came back from overseas in the Army and read that, and I said, gosh, that's what I want to do you know, the right book at the right time. And and I went off and worked at all these big ad agencies in New York. I was a Madison Avenue ad guy, which I should point out, you make a lot of fun of in this book. but (laughs) I do. I do. (laughs) And you should, and you should, given what's happened. So I was in advertising for years and years and and liked it. And then the whole thing started changing. It's like the gravy train was coming to a a stop. (laughs) And I just... Sense that the, the world was changing, and I started to worry and think, oh, gosh, what am I going to do? And I fortunately stumbled upon a very early edition of the New Rules of Marketing and PR, and I had the same reaction after reading that as I did after reading Ogilvy and Advertising, where I said, that's it! That's where it's going! That's where I'm <laughs> going! That's where my agency's going! And I felt like I had a second uh, bite at the the career Apple, and I've been all in on this uh ever since and you know i, I just want to ask a a question from the book well,
0: first first let me first let me comment that is um uh, makes my heart feel nice and warm and fuzzy um douglas that you would say that i really really appreciate that and um you know it's it's kind of amazing to me that i've been able to write something that has affected you and 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 quite a few other people as well and and um uh, and that's it just makes my work worthwhile. So thank you very, very much for saying that and putting me in the same category as David Ogilvy.
1: Oh you. well, it's—I I mean every bit of what I'm saying—and I—I noticed in the book that you wrote that the coolest part of your life since the book was published is not that it's sold extremely well, but that you hear stuff like that from yeah. people all over the world.
0: No, it's amazing. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. I, I love—I love it. I absolutely love
1: it. Well, thank so, you for writing you. it and. And then I can remember uh, some years back, I finally got to meet you. Uh, yeah, it was and at a
0: HubSpot, uh, the HubSpot Inbound conference. Yeah, I think it was like a 10 years ago. Years. It was a and
1: ago. Yeah. I was so excited. And I brought a, it's one of the, you know, you were one of those guys where I, I knew you were going to be at that conference, I had your book. I put it in my suitcase, I flew <laughs> to the conference, I carried it around, and then I saw you. I, I knew you were going to be there that night, and I got you to autograph it. And I well,
0: and I remember distinctly, you said, I'm thinking about starting a podcast. <laughs> Would you be willing to be a guest? And I'm like, sure, I'd be happy to be a guest. I remember that.
1: Yeah, and uh, I remember in that book, and you put it in here, you wrote Douglas on the Web... You are what you publish. Yes. And so I, I read this. Uh, you've got that in this book. And, uh, you know, uh, you were, in fact, the very first guest on the Marketing Book Podcast. I remember. And that's why I often refer to you as the, the patron saint of the Marketing <laughs> Book Podcast.
0: At least I'm the patron saint of something. Yes, I should have
1: some iconography made up to, to, to reflect that. And I, But anyway, I... I it was the very first interview. And I remember we did the interview about the new rules of sales and service. Yes. And you said afterwards, Hey, Douglas, that was a really good interview. How long have you had this podcast? How long have you been doing it? And I was so embarrassed. I, I didn't know what to say, and I said, "David, that was the first interview I've done." And you said, "Well, I think this is good. I think you're going to make it. I think this is pretty good." So I think about that now before I interview each author. Like, no, David said, "I'm I'm I'm going to be okay." So well,
0: well, and you and you're doing a great job. And I, and here's why is because on a regular basis. Um, several times a month, somebody will reach out to me, you know, a social network or an email, or I'll meet them at a conference or something, and they'll say, I heard about you on Douglas's marketing book podcast. Oh, so, no kidding. That's oh, yeah. great. Oh, yeah. That's great. So well, you're, you're making a difference. To the
1: listeners, I say thank you, and authors have just told me how much they enjoy hearing from, from listeners. So I have uh, now interviewed you seven. This will be your 7th the seventh time I've interviewed you. So you're in the lead. Uh, you're, I'm you're honored. In the, you're in the marketing book podcast seven timers club, but also <laughs> I hear from listeners around the world. Uh, you know, almost every day, and they're asking me for specific book recommendations. And this is one of the most recommended ones. And what I do is I send them a link to the last interview, and now I'll be able to uh, send them this uh, Excellent. Excellent. this one. Now, as we talk today, I am about to go to a college reunion. Tomorrow.
0: Is it it a big number? 40th. Whoa. Okay. So you you and I are very similar in age.
1: Yeah. You graduated from Kenyon in 83, I believe.
0: Correct. Yeah, exactly right.
1: So maybe you'll go to your 40th. And uh, anyway, reading your book... Is kind of like going back to a reunion, or it's sort of like going home, <laughs> but where you, I, I, I kind of, it kind of takes me back to the, the 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 impact the book had, which we've talked about, but also I'm able to catch up with what's going on with everybody, and so, it, it, I, I, it's like returning to that warm embrace. So right. that's, I think, uh, yeah, other people uh, may feel that way as as well. So,
0: well, it's interesting that for me too, and here's why is because. The process I go through is when a new edition is coming up. Um, I the first thing I do is read the book again. So oh. um, I'll read the entire book with a red pen in my hand, and I'll like cross stuff off and circle things and make little notes and saying, you know, this story needs to be replaced. Let's find something better. And um, and 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 some of the stories have been in the in- the book from the very beginning, and are kind of like old friends. Kind, yeah. of like, kind of like meeting people at that reunion. It's like, wow, that's a great story. I don't need to replace that one. It's still absolutely viable. Mm-hmm. So I do exactly the same thing.
1: Yeah, it's funny. Uh, there, there's a number of people in the book you mentioned who I've I've interviewed or I've met or I know who they are, and I'll what I'll do is I'll send them a message and I'll say, hey, you're on page 394 uh, or whatever, yeah. and they're all thrilled to hear from me. And just today. At the very end of the book, you mentioned Peter Knox, who used to oh, work yeah. at Wiley, and you yeah, had yeah. his story in there about, yeah. it's in the newsjacking chapter, and I I messaged him and I said, ah, oh, your, your your legacy continues to live on, and he was very excited to hear it because they I haven't read the advanced copies. So, good, well, good. briefly, uh, I mean, what are the, the new things... Uh, and what are some of the things you you've taken out? I can remember asking that question a few years ago, and you had removed a whole chapter on mobile marketing. So, right. what uh, what's new? What's gone?
0: So, um, what's gone um, are some of the stories. Um, you know, that just really weren't appropriate anymore as i was like okay this doesn't make so much sense anymore and that doesn't make so much sense anymore um and i added a bunch of news stories um Mm -hmm. so that so that's important i added significantly to the artificial intelligence and marketing chapter Mm -hmm. um in fact that could be a full book um oh yeah because because there's that much in it i'm I'm not going to write that book but i'm not the right person correct person to write that book but that does that that Artificial intelligence has really become very important for marketing. And I also wrote a lot this edition about some of the dangers of modern marketing. And I would never done that before. Mm. You know, the, um, and especially... The algorithms that the social networking companies are using, um, most especially Facebook's algorithm. Um, I actually believe that the Facebook algorithm is the most destructive technology ever invented. I really do. I think it's, it, it just polarizes people, um, in politics, the red team against the blue team mm-hmm. and the, um, people who believe that vaccines are effective to prevent disease and those who believe that they're not effective. Um, and, and, and it the the those algorithms are really designed around um, rewarding um, negativity, rewarding anger mm-hmm. because they've the social networking service, especially Facebook, have figured out that when people are angry, they spend more time on Facebook. And when they spend more time on Facebook, they can sell more ads. So as a business model, they want people to be angry. Mm-hmm. and they're, and therefore their algorithm rewards anger and anger is really the idea of setting people up into tribes but but that then um pr- propagates conspiracy conspiracy theories and gets people to hate one another and i just think it's evil and i think it's it's one of the the most destructive things for all of humanity. And, um, and so I wrote a lot about that, this particular edition, because I think that we as marketers who are using these tools and spending a lot of money on these um, social networking um, companies, advertising uh, models, that we need to really understand what's going on here and really understand whether we should be Uh, spending money with them, whether we should be putting our time into it, Um, as well on the social networks, um, if they want to, they can change the algorithm so that your stuff isn't even seen anymore. I mean, Mm -hmm. we've all experienced that, where three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ten years ago, you would write a post and, you know, hundreds or even thousands of people will see it, and now you write a post and it's freaking crickets, um, (laughs) unless you pay them to boost it and um and the other thing they can do if they want to and they do is to say just kidding we're going to take this social network away you know, Google Plus existed until the sixth edition. I, me- I measure things by what edition. Uh, don't yes. ask me. Don't ask me what year Google Plus went away. I can tell you it went away between the sixth and the seventh edition. Yes. But, you know, Google Google said, "Hey, we've got this brand new social network. It's great." That was about ten years ago, and people like me invested a lot of time in creating a presence on Google Plus. And I, you know, I jumped up and down and said how great it was in something like the second or third edition. And um, and then a lot of you know, it was like 50 million, Million people on Google Plus, and they said, "Ah, we're not going to do it anymore. Goodbye." Uh, so, if you put your effort into a social network like that, y- your entire business could go down the toilet. So, mm-hmm. so anyway, I mean, I know I'm ranting here, but I do, I do think that we we all all marketers need to um, really give some thought to the social networking algorithms and the social networking companies' business models and. Make a firm, educated decision on whether this is something that our brand should be focused on or not.
1: Mm -hmm. And speaking of toilets, I think the last time (laughs) I interviewed you about uh, standout virtual events, we were talking about a similar thing. And you said, you know, Facebook's turned into such a a sewer. And then about that time, I think I read uh, The Hype Machine by Sinan Aral, Mm. which really got me really troubled. And, and I'll include a link to his interview on this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. And not too long ago, some point in this year, 2022, I finally just deactivated my Facebook page. You did. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. You can't do that because there's so many people that want to hear from you. But I had deactivated the one for the agency because it really was just getting – it was it, it wasn't really working for us. It didn't make any yeah. sense. It's a topic yeah. you talk about in your book. And then I finally just deactivated mine because – Facebook was making me angry. Yeah. Well, uh, it, not. I don't know how angry I was getting, but it was just. Uh, I don't. I've never been a cigarette smoker, but it was probably like just giving up cigarettes. Right. You know. And I just. I felt better. And I. I guess I yeah. kind of did it to see if I would. If, if 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 I would miss it. And I'm afraid I didn't.
0: <laughs> well, in my in my case, what I did, I did something. A little bit different than that, but had some of the same results. What I did was I didn't um, go cold turkey on quitting the cigarettes. (laughs) Um, I I stopped doing business-related things on Facebook, and I use it – for a a couple of very specific purposes only um one is i follow some of my close friends who live in other parts of the world um as you know i lived in tokyo for seven years and i've Mm -hmm. still got some friends in tokyo and facebook is a good way to see what they're up to Um, i also use it to keep up with my friends in the in the Apollo um, up in the world of the Apollo lunar missions, um, and and it's great for that. And I use it to keep up with my friends in the Grateful Dead world, and it's, mm. great, and it's great for that. But I no longer use it for any kind of business purpose. Um, Interesting. And so. Um, I, I, I am very, 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 very careful to never click on anything that has anything at all to do with politics or or, or any of the other um subjects which you will then um, push you down a rat hole of, 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 nonsense. Yes. You know, it's all like, like really innocuous, you know, things about rock bands or things about the Apollo program or, or my friends in Tokyo who are watching the cherry blossoms. <laughs> you yeah. Know, it's like anything, anything that has any kind of controversy, I don't go anywhere near it because I don't want the algorithm to start to, to, to give me any of that nonsense.
1: Yeah. I, and you know, there's a, a, a Chrome plugin that I've used for years that I was still, I was still using called newsfeed eradicator. Oh, and actually you go to newsfeed eradicator and it can turn off. uh, It turns off the newsfeed in Facebook. So what I would do is I would bring it up and it was simply bringing up Facebook. I wouldn't see that. You know that seductive vortex of right, the newsfeed, right. and I—I I was just going and using that to see if somebody had been trying to message me, and I, believe it or not, I, I actually do it on LinkedIn sometimes because it'll—I can just check quickly to see if somebody's trying to, you know, like a listener is trying to, to right. reach me. Right, right. Um, but occasionally I'll turn it off, and I would occasionally turn it off on Facebook, and that's when it was just uh, anyway. So kind of like. Uh, Getting out of a bad relationship. <laughs> so, well, you know, I
0: mean, there, I ha, you have to, you have to face reality. There are businesses for whom those social networks are important. Absolutely. And, um, and I get that, but I think you have to go in it understanding what you're getting yourself into, and understanding that you're going to be paying for it for the rest of your life. You're always going to be a renter. You're never going to be an owner of real yes. estate. Um, and it's more more than likely that your rental is going to continue to increase in price. And it's more than likely that sooner or later, they're going to say, sorry, we can't rent you this anymore. Go, go away.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and you
0: have to figure out another way to do your marketing. So,
1: Right. Well, yeah. with that, let me read an excerpt from the beginning and uh, get into just a few of the key ideas uh, in the time we have left. This is from uh, page three for those folks playing the home game. The web provides tremendous opportunities to reach buyers directly, and you will learn how to harness that power. What was science fiction just a few years ago is common, even expected today. Take a moment to acknowledge how incredible it is that you can instantly create a video stream using that small device in your pocket and connect to a service like Facebook Live, Instagram, or TikTok to reach... Thousands of interested people who pay attention to what you are broadcasting. Or you can have a two-way video conversation with a potential customer on the other side of the planet for free. Your mobile device is much more powerful than what the creators of the Jetsons imagined decades ago. Each of us has the ability to reach almost any human on the planet in real time. You can publish content, a blog post, video, infographic, photo to reach potential customers who will be eager to do business with you. There used to be only three ways to get noticed. Buy expensive advertising, beg the mainstream media to tell your story for you, or hire a huge sales staff to bug people individually about your products. Now we have a better option. Publishing interesting content on the web, content that your buyers want to consume. The tools of the marketing and PR trade have changed. The skills that worked offline to help you buy or beg or bug your way into opportunity are the skills of interruption and coercion. Online success comes from thinking like a journalist and publishing amazing content that will brand you as an organization or person it would be a pleasure to do business with. You are in charge of your own success. TV advertising is a powerful channel for business growth, and it's a counterintuitive solution for businesses frustrated by the rising costs of digital marketing. But... The traditional process for launching TV campaigns is expensive, time-consuming, and complex. That's why marketing architects flipped the traditional process on its head. With all-inclusive TV advertising, they invest their own money to produce, analyze, and optimize your TV campaign. All you pay for is media, setting you up for rapid growth at a significant cost advantage. This approach to TV is so revolutionary, they wrote a book about it. It's called All-Inclusive TV, How Booming Brands Are Reimagining TV Advertising. It explores how a variety of brands are using TV to transform their businesses and how you can do the same. For a free copy of the book, visit this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com or visit marketingarchitects.com slash book and tell them you heard about it on the Marketing Book Podcast. So, first question... It's from page one. Explain what you mean when you write that the more you educate a consumer, the more likely they are to buy.
0: So I think it's really clear, and I know it's true in my own world when I am interested in a product or service, and I know from people who create tons of content that it's true, that that's how they generate attention is um, the, the organization or the person who is the one that's helping you to understand um, the potential solutions to the problem you have is the most likely person that you're going to trust to help you to actually implement those ideas. And um, and so I see this again and again and again and again over the last 20 years um, that it's absolutely true. So Um, So what that means is that if you're just pitching product, um, if you're just hyping, you know, what it is that you offer, you're unlikely to have that much success. But if you're out there educating people about the possibilities and helping them to understand what potential ways they can have to solve their problems, that's when you're likely to be much more successful. And I've always said that, you know, there's a number of different ways you can do that. You can, hey, you could create a podcast, right, Douglas? Just like you've you've done. Or a video channel, or you can uh, do a blog, or you can have just a great website with all sorts of super cool information in it. There's all sorts of ways to do it. But ultimately, what it comes down to is um, educating and informing instead of interrupting and selling.
1: And talk about the importance of focusing on your buyer's problems more than your product.
0: Oh, man, that's um, that's such so fundamental. And still, people get it wrong. Um, You know, the, the buyers are selfish, they're selfish because when they're interested in something, they they want help. They want someone to tell them what to do. They want somebody who's going to help them to understand. And... Anybody who can do that education is going to be the organization that's going to get the business. Let me let me give you a, a concrete example. It's um, not from the book, but just happened to me recently. Oh, so
1: that's a, a marketing book podcast extra you're about to share.
0: It's exactly right. Um, ha, um, I, I've recently needed to buy some equipment uh, some um, sound equipment stereo equipment I'm I'm geeking out about a, a vintage um, stereo system I have the 1970s vintage stereo system that I had and I need to think about some connectors and some cables and some other stuff. And uh, I'm not a guitar player, but I bought two vintage guitars and needed to figure out some things like what's the right case to put these guitars in and so on. And when I started poking around, um, I ended up on a company called Sweetwater. And they're great. (laughs) They have all kinds of information that was helping me to understand what kind of cables do I need? What kind of case do I want to buy? um and that's where i ended up buying it and um and then i got on to their mailing list and it's a, it's a great email mailing list and um and then interestingly my representative his name is sam sam then every once in a while will text me and i'll say hey david we're here if you need any help and i've never i've only replied to sam the first time and say hey thanks love sweetwater i'll let you know you know and every three or four months, he might ping me, but it's absolutely appreciated because he's not trying to sell me something. He's saying, hey, can I help you? Um, And their content um, made it so that I want to buy something from them. and buy buy a number of different things from them. And now they're going to be my go-to when I need um, these kinds of bits of equipment for um, these these two guitars I bought or or anything else with my sound system.
1: Well, I feel... As, as one of your fans and advocates, I feel uh, not a legal obligation, but I should I should read this one disclaimer from the book, okay? Yeah. Because there are, there are clearly going to be people sitting there listening to this with their arms crossed thinking, I don't know, I think it's a fad, this whole internet thing.
0: Uh, and, this whole internet thing is a fad. Yeah.
1: Like that moon landing you're so interested in, exactly. David. So you write... On page 19, I'd like to pause here for a moment for a clarification. When I talk about the new rules and compare them to the old rules, I don't mean to suggest that all organizations should immediately drop... There existing marketing and PR programs and use this book's ideas exclusively. Moreover, I'm not of the belief that the only marketing worth doing is on the web. If your newspaper ads, telephone directory listings, media outreach, and other programs are working for you, that's great. Please keep going. There is room in many marketing and PR programs for traditional techniques. So let me, however, ask, what is some of the pushback that you get from businesses or executives who just uh, seem to have this muscle memory or resistance to wanting to do this?
0: Well, first of all, um, those organizations, I, I truly believe, by the way, that If yellow page ads and billboards by the side of the road are working for you, that's awesome. Just keep doing it. I mean, please don't stop because I say so. Um, But I see a couple of major problems. The first major problem is um, is that it's pretty hard to measure whether those things are working and it's kind of just traditionally this is what we've done so we're going to continue to do it another another good example of that is, um, is the trade show boot booth at your annual, annual industry conference um, again if, if that's working great and you know it that's awesome keep going with it I'm not going to I, no way I'm going to tell you to stop if your trade show booth is generating you know millions and millions of dollars worth of business for you however most organizations can't truly calculate whether those things are adding value, number one. And number two, I think even more importantly, a lot of those efforts um, and the idea of potentially changing is are fear-based. Mm-hmm. It's a fear-based thing to um, stop doing what you're already doing and it's a fear-based thing to begin doing something that you don't quite understand yet and that um you have to learn how to do and that's just a natural human th- reaction sure and um, it can be
1: very overwhelming
0: and it, yeah it absolutely can be and and it's not just um your marketing and your public relations it's anything in your life mm-hmm. you know it's um uh, beginning a new way of of eating or a new fitness regimen or moving to a different town i mean it's all It's all the sort of the same idea is um, it's easy to continue to do what you've been doing. It's hard to do something new. Yeah.
1: Well, let's move on and talk about uh, a big issue. And again, you know, I I, like the last question I asked, I I run into that all the time this resistance thinking, I don't know, I don't know, I'm not sure. There's all kinds of resistance. Another one that I am just always surprised about is the. The issue of goals or not clear goals, and this is particularly acute for for marketers. Let me quote from page 56 and ask you to uh, elaborate on why this is and what folks should be doing. You write, On the speaking circuit and via my blog, I'm often asked to critique marketing programs, websites, and blogs. My typical response is, what's the goal? And what problems do you solve for your buyers? often throw people off. It is amazing that so many marketers don't have established goals for their marketing programs and for websites and blogs in particular. And they often cannot articulate who their buyers are and what problems they solve. So can you talk about you know marketing and PR people? They have a, this what you describe as a collective difficulty getting their department goals in sync with the rest of the company. And they often focus on the wrong measures of of success.
0: Yeah. So I think ultimately the important measures for most businesses are – um are they bringing in revenue is that revenue profitable are they growing um and if in the case of say a nonprofit is are they generating donations um are do they have volunteers that are helping i mean you know all, all organizations have these top level things that are important um yet most marketers are measured on something completely different They're measured, for example, on, um, how, if, how many sales leads they generate or how many clicks they get on their, on their Facebook post or, um, how many views they get on their YouTube video or whatever it might be. And those things simply don't matter. Um, what matters is, is, um, the ultimate goal that the business needs to Generate in order to be a viable organization. And for most businesses, that's um, revenue and profitability. So, um, I, li- I like to see when the marketing and public relations programs and communications programs and sales as well are all tied together in such a way that they're um, creating the um, mechanisms to achieve the ultimate goals of the company. And that can be hard because um, it's a hell of a lot easier to measure how many YouTube views you got this month than it is to figure out how your efforts have generated more business for the company. But ultimately, that's going to be a much more important measurement for the, um, the organization overall.
1: Yes. Well, let's jump ahead to talk about uh, the, the cool thing about this podcast I do is that uh, not only do I get to pick out the books that excite me, I get, to, mm-hmm. I get to ask about the things that I think are, are are most interesting to me. So let's talk about websites. Sure. Well, on page 82, you say the vast majority of sites are built with the wrong focus. And uh, you also go on to write, uh, I've been writing and speaking about the importance of content and marketing for 20 years now and is still the most overlooked element of most sites. <laughs> <laughs> Take it, it in. Is. Tell, tell me what you tell me what you mean yeah. because you talk about also. There's a part where you say um, that you know a lot of people. Let's see here. Uh, there's a lot to a uh, website. You know, there's like the design, color, yeah, navigation, there's, yeah,
0: there's a ton of different and, things,
1: technology. But most people focus on that rather than the content. You know. <laughs>
0: well, you think about think about um, the average organization, and if they need if they need a new website. um, Where do they go? Well, there's lots of different places you can go. You could go to an advertising agency, and they you can have them manage the process of creating a website, or you can go to a design firm and have them manage the process of creating a, a new website, um, or you could go to someone who's really good at the back end technology and understanding SEO and 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 how to put together a site from that perspective, and have them manage the building of your website, but. I don't know very many companies that have ever started with content and said, Hey, let's get a bunch of journalists together, write a website. And that's the starting point. It almost never happens that way. Um, almost always the content, the written word, the video, um, um, the photographs, that's, that's secondary to everything else that gets put together. Now, obviously, all of it has to work in concert. I get that, the design, the backend architecture, the SEO, um, um, all of those elements need to work together. But I almost never see the appropriate focus on what I believe to be the most important thing. And that is, what are the words and the images and the video and the other content that you're going to be showing to people that that's an afterthought. I mean, how many how many websites have you seen under development where they just put so, the so called Greek or um, not you know nonsense letters and words <laughs> into the website as a placeholder? Oh, we'll get to that later. That's just the content. Yes, you know, and and you'll see a, you'll see a beautiful website with all the everyone's obsessing over you know w- which version of green is better for the homepage, and how big the hero image is, and, you know, all this stuff. And it's like, and, and then you see a sample headline. It's like, this is the headline. It's like, well, wow, what a horrible way to build a website <laughs> in my mind. Um, and, and I would love to see somebody just get in and create the right architecture for the content um, and have some some journalists, people who are great at creating content. So that be the starting point, but it almost never happens that way.
1: Yeah, let me just quote from page 50 before we move on. You're right. Website content too often simply describes what an organization or product is from an egotistical perspective. While information about your organization and products is certainly valuable on the inner pages of your site, what visitors really want is content that first describes the issues and problems they face and then provides details on how to solve their problems. In fact, uh, David, there's another part in the book where you say that when a customer comes to your website, they should see a self-reflection.
0: I think that's right. You know, I think um, we've, we've all had this experience from time to time when we're doing some research on something. For me, it happened a year ago. I was, um, I was doing some research on camper vans because i was in the market it was covid and i was like I'd been at home for a long time and oh like, I,
1: and you wrote about this in the introduction to jason falls's book i did i've been I reading did. a lot of books that have you uh, uh, you did the inter- uh, brent keltner is another one and brent yeah. Is, yeah yeah
0: yeah so right so i was i was in the market for camper van a camper van um, and these things are expensive, right? They're six figures. These things, you know. They're uh, and I ended up with an awesome one. It's got um, it's got a bed that 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 retracts into the ceiling. It's got a full kitchen. It's got a a toilet and a shower. I mean, it's, it's an amazing machine. And um, and and so I probably spent two or three months researching campervans, and um, and and it was it was the organizations that educated me about what I need to know about camper vans rather than simply um, the companies that were trying to pitch me their products that I paid attention to. And there's a story in the book. um, uh, It's actually in the Facebook uh, Facebook section of the social media chapter where I I talk about Aaron Skildner and he's the um, the owner and um, and runs a company called Rome Rig and what Rome Rig does is they're a very very big niche uh, 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 niche. it's it's electrical systems for camper vans. I mean that's all they do. yes
1: and if I had to guess that he he is debuting in this eighth edition.
0: He is. He is. Because because as I was poking around trying to understand camper vans, Aaron educated me about electrical systems for camper vans. Now, what did I know about electrical systems for camper vans before I started this research? Absolutely freaking nothing. (laughs) Um, But Aaron... Of Rome Rig started to 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 share through the content that he published on Facebook, um, in the in some Facebook groups about camper vans a whole bunch of interesting things about electrical systems and how long battery power can run without having to be recharged. And does solar power actually uh, work? And um, uh, 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 what, are the, what are the different options for whether you want to have air conditioning or not, because it, it uses a whole bunch of juice and all kinds of really super interesting things. And I ended up spending $10,000 with Aaron to upgrade my electrical system <laughs> um, because he was the guy who educated me. And he's become the leader in providing upgraded electrical systems for camper vans for one reason and one reason only because he is the most helpful in providing information to people about um, camper van. Electrical systems, and and he goes so far as to answer people dire, people's direct messages. Um, he'll even if someone's having a problem, sometimes even get on the cell phone with them. It doesn't, they don't have to be a customer. He's just trying to be the most helpful person in this area.
1: Ah, oh, that's a great a great story and a new one. So, uh, yeah, well, that's great. Let me ask... It, remi-
0: you. it reminds me, I haven't been in my camper van this uh, since the, the end of the winter, and it's April as we're recording this, and I need to get out and go camping.
1: <laughs> you know, it's funny. Uh, I have a lot of friends who retired from the Navy, and every single one of them never wants to go on a cruise ship oh, because they were they spent a life at sea. And for me, having been in the Army for just a few years... I never want to go camping. Oh, interesting.
0: <laughs> interesting. Well, I mean, I call it camping, but it is li- what I do is super luxurious.
1: Oh, it's Me- glamping.
0: Oh, it is uh, It is a mini house on wheels, this thing I've got. I mean, it's a van. It's a, it's a Mercedes-Benz Sprinter van is the base. Um, but, I mean, it's got a great heating system. It's got a great electrical system. I've got a, a stove. I've got a sink. I've got hot and cold running water. Um, you know, I can charge up my phone and my, I can run my computer. I've got a great stereo system The the two front seats flip around and I've got another seat with a table where I can eat my dinner and take a shower, hot shower if I want to. So it is not really camping. It is a lot more luxurious.
1: Well, I think you and your wife need to, uh, Take it down here to Virginia, yeah. and you can visit the Virginia Air and Space Center. There that's, we go. That's a real David Merman Scott kind of place. There we go.
0: There yeah. we go. And actually, I had tickets to a um, uh, a music festival last summer called lock in Virginia and uh, I was going to drive the camper van down and it was a camping festival and camp out for 4 days and listen to some great music but it was canceled
1: unfortunately. Oh, okay.
0: I was booked to be in Virginia with my camper van as a matter of
1: fact. Okay. Well, now if you come here to where I live, you can hook up hook it up but you you all can also stay in the house. So just you, you, I'm just saying you have options if you come I
0: I I, I frankly, prefer my camper van. Thank you very much, Douglas. No no hard feelings. (laughs) I'll park it in your driveway. There we go. Okay.
1: Well, great. Well, let's jump to a couple other areas because there are a lot of salespeople that listen to the Marketing Book Podcast. I'm always so impressed. And I want to quote from uh, page 171 and ask you, what should the marketers be doing? You write, while many marketers now understand that content drives action, and quite a few have embraced the ideas in this book, the vast majority focus their content effort only at the very top of the sales consideration process. In other words, they create content to attract buyers, but none to support the salespeople. Explain what you mean and uh, what, 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 what they should be doing
0: so um you know back in the day i and i i worked at um b2b companies um my whole career and, and 20- you were
1: a salesperson
0: i was a salesperson and i was also a marketing person i've done both both jobs but um um 20 years between 30 years ago and 20 years ago i worked at b2b companies as, in both sales and marketing and at that time um it was very much of a demarcation between what was sales and what was marketing. Marketing, and this was, pre, you know, this is pre-web or very, very early web. And, um, and so we generated leads, you know, by, um, uh, by going to a trade show, for example, and getting business cards or whatever. We generated sales leads as marketers, and then we tossed them over the cubicle wall to the salespeople on their job job was to close the sales leads and there was very little back and forth interaction in other words there was very little that the marketing team did once it was in the hands of sales that has completely changed because now both marketing and sales have the ability to influence the entire sales process Um, a, a salesperson can easily drive somebody into a company's website. And so they're seeing early stage content about potentially um, becoming a customer. Um, And then uh, a great marketing team will be creating content that not only generates a sales lead, but also is used by salespeople To communicate to their potential customers. And I I look at the difference between marketing and sales as simply this marketing generally creates content to reach many buyers at once, whereas sales should be creating content to reach one buyer at a time. Mm -hmm. And even though that's kind of my definition, I think that both the marketing department and people who work in the sales department have the um, ability and should be creating content for all aspects of that consideration cycle. Um, and when it's working like a machine, it works really, really well. Um, that a salesperson knows that, okay, this person's just come in and they're this type of customer. They work in this industry. They they're they're based in this geography. This is the perfect video to show them. And then they create, uh, they, they push a link to that particular video. And that video may have been made by the marketing team. Um, and so that's the the machine that works really well, but not that many organizations create a machine like that.
1: Mm, that's too bad, and that's why sales and marketing alignment is such a challenge for so many companies. But let's move on and, to and let me and
0: well let me add one more thing specifically for those salespeople listening. And the biggest mistake I see with salespeople is they use LinkedIn completely wrong. What they do with LinkedIn, and you and you can look at their um, the average salesperson's um, LinkedIn profile is written a- as if they're looking for their next sales job.
1: <laughs> yes, <laughs> what more it of a say- resume than
0: right. What it's what it says is, I'm a really good salesperson. I've made quarter of the last ten quarters in a row. Um, I've um, I'm very good at closing big deals. Now, if you're somebody who's a potential customer. Of that company and you've just been assigned your sales rep and the first thing you do and this happens all the time the first thing you do is you go to linkedin and said who is the sales rep i'm dealing with mm-hmm. and their profile is talking about how they make quota every month you're going to say this guy's going to try to wrestle me to the ground and put a pen in my hand and force me to sign a contract but if they're if they're um if their their profile um, narrative were written around how they're an expert in this particular industry. They're skilled at advising clients how to deploy technology to help um, improve business in this particular marketplace. Um, they've been working in the industry for the past fifteen years. You know, things like that, um, and, and maybe even some quotes from happy customers that um, that they're going to do way, way, way better with LinkedIn. But that's rare. You know, most people are still thinking of LinkedIn as the place where they're going to find their next job as opposed to the place where they're going to make their next sale.
1: Yes. It's so true. And I think if folks were to have a, a bio or a headline on their LinkedIn profile that followed the two words I help, it yeah. would be much you know, like there I help go. these kinds of businesses achieve you know, fill in the blank desired outcomes, right? You're off to a good start and right off the bat, you're more focused on your customers. And speaking of customers, you know all this marketing and PR, there's there's no secret sauce like <clears throat> a lot of agencies will tell you. Uh, and I can say that because I'm an agency person okay. and i'm I, and I'm authorized to make fun of Madison Avenue ad people. <laughs> but uh, I think one of the closest things to secret sauce or that is an unfair advantage is, buyer personas. Yeah. So can you tell folks what a buyer persona is? I think it's often misunderstood, but it has just, and and it actually comes up again and again and again. Like even when you talk about websites, you know, those companies that have good buyer personas and buyer insights, they have the best websites. Yes.
0: Yeah. So the buyer persona is basically a profile of an ideal buyer and they're generated from real data. They're generated because an organization has taken the time and done the work to interview representatives of their particular buyer personas. And most organizations have at least several buyer personas, not simply one buyer persona. And what you're trying to do is understand deeply those people that you're trying to reach so that you can create the appropriate content to be able to help them to solve their problems. And what, what an understanding of buyer persona does personas does is it gets you away from simply talking about your own products and services, because if you're focused on the needs of the buyers, um, you um, create content in a very different way. I'll give you a very specific example. It is in the book. Um, I, I, I love to talk about the idea of um, the market for college education. So, hmm. you know, the average um, American um, four-year uni- private university is $50,000 a year or more these days. It's a lot of money, $200,000 a year or more for a family to uh, pay or, you know, maybe partly scholarship, but it's a big investment. And so if you think about a, the college education marketplace from the perspective of buyer personas um, you've got a number of different buyer personas number one you've got the very young teenager maybe their um, first year in secondary school freshman in high school and they're just beginning the process of trying to understand what sort of colleges are out there and where they might want to go they're not ready to make an application yet Yet very few college websites target that buyer persona because they assume that anybody visiting is ready to apply. Then you've also got parents of potential students who, number one, yep, they're probably going to be the people who are paying the bill or most of the bill. So there's that aspect of it. But then they also want to make sure that their child will be safe at the school that they end up going to, you know, and what's the safety protocol and um, what can I expect um, from this institution in regards of, of, of my child. And then you've got also um, alumni who may or may not donate to the college and there's, a, and there's several other buyer personas as well. Um, a great college website Will have content for each of those buyer personas, and it'll be very easy to find when you go to the homepage where you should go to learn more um, for your particular needs. Uh, yet, very few colleges have that. Most of them are organized around. Um, Uh, having students who they believe are ready to apply. But that's going to be not a very large percentage of the people who visit that site. There's many, many other types of buyers that will visit visit that site. So the clever college will interview representatives of those other buyer personas and get um, an understanding of their needs and create appropriate content, web pages, videos, whatever, for each of those buyer personas.
1: And when you describe that as uh, an organization focus most on people that are ready to buy right now. It's just like yeah. so many businesses. Like, so hey, many you want to buy? You want to buy? You to yeah. buy? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not ready
0: to buy. Right? Right. It took me two months to decide to buy a camper van. I'm not going to spend $200,000 in a camper van today. Sorry. I'm doing my <laughs> research.
1: <laughs> That's right. That's right. Or, or the person uh, who's dating, and they go someplace to meet people, and they say, "Do you want to get married? Do you want to get married?" Yeah,
0: that's right. That's exactly <laughs> right. Or, 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 or the other one they they say is, um, uh, you know, the the, the analogy to um requiring you to to fill out a form oh. to get content, which is a, a riff we've done in other ver- other episodes of your podcast. But yeah, can you imagine going into a bar and you meet um somebody you find attractive, and the first thing you say is, "I think you're attractive. Give me your business card. Uh-huh. I, I, I want your phone number right now." Like, yeah. That's that's gonna yeah that's gonna work and so why do websites when you go there they say fill out this form you know the first thing they want you to do is become a sales lead it's like no <laughs> right. educate me first talk me up first before you ask yeah. for my phone number
1: yeah <laughs> so David I know it's it's frustrating probably being interviewed about your book because there's so many things that you, you we don't have time to get to you know and there's there's just so the listener knows there's a whole sections on blogs and how uh, blogs are misunderstood and how they've changed your life. There's sections on gating and ungating content, which, we, like you mentioned, we have talked about. That's sort of a church and state issue. Uh, very controversial. There's uh, two th- subjects that just really light David Merriman Scott's fuse, which are the use of gobbledygook in writing yeah, yeah. and stock photos uh, misused. But uh, as you mentioned earlier, there's a lot in here that explains – you know, the perils of doing things wrong. Like you talk in, there's quite a bit about social media in the book, uh, what people are getting wrong with social media, but also um, video, a lot on video and the sort of the attitude that you should have and all these success stories and how uh, another section on how press releases or news releases are not just for journalists. A lot of companies are getting that wrong. You talk about uh, newsjacking and why that's important. You've got a whole course on it and uh which you can find at your website and you've got another uh, a book on it it's just it's it's fascinating and i want to jump to just two other things before we go sure uh, chapter 21 out of 22 is titled search engine marketing yeah explain what you mean when you write this entire book is about search engine marketing <laughs>
0: Yeah, um, yeah, I, lo- I love that. I-, I should just have the entire chapter just be that one sentence. <laughs> but <laughs> well, I, actually, yeah. I actually, I actually do go into a little detail. But um, you know, I-, I believe that the most important part of search engine marketing is the content. <laughs> you know, and and there's so many SEO people out there, bless their hearts. They 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 have a skill set I don't, um, who focus on the excruciating detail of. Making sure that everything is right on the back end. And yes, I get that it's, that it's important to make sure your title tags are organized properly and the keywords are put in the right place and all that. I get that. But by far the most important thing around SEO, search engine optimization is making sure that you have a starting point of great content. You know, having really, really bad content. And then putting really, really good SEO around it makes it slightly less bad <laughs> <laughs> from the perspective of attracting people to search through search engines so but if you have really good content you 're going to do well even if it 's not um, optimized for search because because the the search engines um, you know Google and the other ones really are tuned to surface the best content that mm-hmm. is their job. Um, And, you know, there are tweaks you can make to have Google look a little bit more closely at your horrible content. But ultimately, their users, the users of the Google search engine and the other search engines are looking for the best content. And if you create the best content, it is most likely to get surfaced. And so, yes, <laughs> this yeah, enti- this entire book for how many pages four hundred and four hundred and thirty four four hundred and thirty four pages um is about um, search engine optimization, if you think about it that way.
1: Yes. I think the only other book that's been longer than this one that's been on the show was the second edition of Robert Cialdini's Influence, The Psychology of Persuasion. Oh, and folks, if you only read those two books, <laughs> <laughs> you'll be great. Let me just put a pin at the end of this. Uh, you write on page 402, in my experience, people often misunderstand search engine marketing because there's a slew of SEO firms that make it all seem so darn complicated yeah. to to add to the problem, many, but certainly not all, SEO firms are a bit on the shady side, promising stellar results from simply manipulating keywords on your site. Which, actually, uh, David, that that did work quite a bit more 15 years ago, yes, but it now did. it's all about the content.
0: But yeah, I mean, one time, quite a, quite a long time ago, um, you could manipulate by doing yes. things like, and, and there was bl- so-called black arts, like you know what people did was they would they would hide keywords by yes. making um, text the same color as the background and yeah. things like that. But um, Google um, has done a really really good job of. Doing uh, of of surf of of ultimately surfacing the best content because that's what their users want. Yes, the users, the the users of the Google search and the others, but I I just keep saying Google. But the users of search engines don't want to be manipulated, they want to reach the best content. If I do a search on on, um, camper, van, electrical systems, I want to reach Aaron, I don't want to reach some shady, fly by night company.
1: Yes. And I've been told that the only thing the search engine companies worry about is not delivering the best content. Yeah, yeah, And so you're right. I'm convinced the single best thing you can do to improve your search engine marketing is to focus on building great content for your yep. buyers. Search yep. engine marketing should not be mysterious and is certainly not trickery. Yes. So David, uh, to wrap up, if, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? You know, I've
0: been thinking about that a lot recently, and and I've kind of changed my mind. I think marketing is fun. I really do. And I think that so many people and so many organizations have treated it as a chore. They've said, oh... I've got to do my marketing. Well, I'll get to that later. I've got to do something. Else. I want to do something else first. Um, and, and businesses like, Oh God, I've got to figure out this marketing thing. But I think, I think, it I think it should be fun. I think it should be fun to make videos. I think it should be, you, you obviously Douglas have fun doing these podcasts, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I, and, and you love reading marketing books. God bless you. So, so, um, um, this, I, this, the, you clearly have fun with your marketing and, and I love what I do in writing my blog and participating on social networks like Twitter. And, 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 and that ultimately drives business my way. And I, I have yet, I, I've, I've been in, bit, been doing my own business for 20 years now, never once made a sales call. All my business comes to me. And, and so I think that It's time for marketing to be fun again. And I have a bunch of ideas in the book that make marketing fun. Um, And ultimately, when you're having fun doing it, you'll do it and you'll do it better. And that will drive more business to you.
1: What a great insight. And you probably have 50, I think you mentioned there's like 50 case studies in the book.
0: Something like that, yeah.
1: And. There are a number of them that are in industries that might be highly regulated or what people yes. might think of as boring. Yes. And they are having fun. They you are. Got construction companies, one and guy that law- started out with a pickup lawyers. truck. Yeah, yeah. And lawyers and insurance brokers. Yeah. It's just, and they are clearly having a good time. Yes. And yes. there's probably a lot of people telling them, no, you can't, we can't do that. That's how, right. how, do That's you, right. how did you do that? <laughs> That's exactly
0: right. Yeah, right. And the the new edition of the book has a lawyer who has um who who's on TikTok, and each one of his TikToks averages half a million views. Yeah. A lawyer, a lawyer, and 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 he's ma- he's got so much business, he's got to hire other lawyers to help him because he's he's just bringing in crazy amounts of business. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and, actually- and,
0: and because he has fun with his TikTok videos. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. And actually, it, it reminds me of something that was the very beginning of the book where you write the best thing about new rules, the new rules, is that your competitors probably don't know about them yet.
0: Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Just- I, and I, the first time I wrote that was 15 years ago. It's still true, though.
1: <laughs> <laughs> You're never not going to be explaining that. I've, I've spoken to another author where she wrote about revenue marketing. Rise of the Revenue Marketer, Debbie Gagish, And she said, you know, when I wrote the book some years back, I thought, well, this is going to pass because everyone's going to get it. And she said, I think for the rest of my career, I'm going to yeah, be explaining right. this concept. That's right. That's right. Exactly. So, yeah. Well, is there one thing that a listener could do today to just get started uh, in the right direction, putting ideas, putting one idea into, into work? Yes.
0: Yeah. And they could do it literally today. That is um and you you briefly touched on it um number one look at the words and phrases on your website and eliminate gobbledygook that's the big the big um business buzzwords like flexible scalable mission critical cutting edge innovative you can do that today the other thing you can do today is go on your website and look for stock photography of people. You know, the happy multicultural people <laughs> sitting around conference rooms smiling. With really um, good teeth. With really good teeth and even better hair, um, frequently staring into computer screens. Um, you, can get, you can get rid of all of those um, stock photos and get rid of that gobbledygook. You can do that today oh. and your website will be infinitely better. Um, and, 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 you know what, um, please do it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I've seen you, I think it was at that conference, uh, the 2012, uh, inbound conference where yeah. it was so funny uh. where you were talking about gobbledygook and you were talking about, um, stock photo. You're just skewering it. You've clearly given this a lot of, of thought and I'm sorry to, you know, light your fuse, but, hey, <laughs> you know, there we go. so are there any there recent go. or upcoming books that you recommend or are looking forward to reading? um you
0: mentioned brent keltner's um revenue acceleration playbook um uh, over the last 10 years or so i've helped coach about um 20 different authors on their first books oh um, and you've interviewed some of those and hanley on her um great content rules book and uh, brian halligan and dharmesh shah the co-founders of hubspot on their inbound marketing book and adele Ravella on her buyer personas book and um, brent keltner's um, revenue acceleration playbook came out um, in middle of april uh, and it, April twenty twenty two, and it's a great book. Um, and yeah, so what I do is I um, I work with with an authors who um, have an idea, don't know how to write a book, don't know about the business of of getting a book published, don't know about how to market a book, and and, and um, coach them throughout that process. I love doing it, and I've had some good successes with some of those authors, of Wall Street Journal bestsellers, and so on. Um, so I, I can highly recommend Brent Keltners Reven- Revenue Acceleration Playbook. He did a fabulous job with that book.
1: Oh, absolutely. And you did a very uh, uh excellent job with the introduction. Yeah, Pulled me right in. And I did. <laughs> his interview will be 2 weeks after yours publishes.
0: Oh, awesome. I'm so glad that so, I'm so glad that you had him on.
1: Yeah, That's yeah. Great. Well, you know, in the future as you're dealing with these authors, um you know, help a brother out, David. I will.
0: I told him to reach out to you or I, or I, or I facilitated the introduction. I can't remember. I do want to mention one more book because I think it's a fascinating uh, business model. Um, I'm a part of a group of, get this, 1,000 volunteers wrangled by our fearless uh, leader, Seth Godin, who's oh. I'm a huge fan of, um, to create... Um, The Carbon Almanac. And the Carbon Almanac will be published on the summer solstice in 2022. That's middle of June. And it's... um, Uh, it was created by about um, 300 people who are um, content creators, writers, um, editors, proofreaders, um, and illustrators, and so on. And then we have a number many, many more people who are helping with marketing, with websites, with social media, and so on. And every single one of us is um, is working on a volunteer basis, including Seth Godin. Um, We're being published by Penguin Random House. Our entire 250,000 advance is going to be going to buy books for um, schools and nonprofits. And every single penny that the book makes will be used for that purpose to buy more books. And it's the first book that really has looked at the idea of carbon and global warming and so on from, you know, essentially a a fact-based, non-political kind of approach. And, um, and, and uh, so far, it's getting a, a bunch of interesting attention. And um, although it's not a marketing book, um, it is, I think, super interesting. Number one, is a business model, but number two, I think it's super interesting as a book.
1: Interesting. And I did not know about that. I'm looking at it here on Amazon right now, The Carbon yeah. Almanac. It's not yeah. too late. Facts, Connection, and Action. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting.
0: Super interesting. So, um, uh, it is not a marketing book, but you know, maybe Seth and me and a couple others could jump on a podcast with you one time and talk yeah. about it. just because the, the business model that, that we, and I was, um, There's a thousand people involved now from um something like fifty countries. And I was one of the first ten that were part of the very, very initial group that Seth invited in. Um and the idea that we're all volunteers, that we all self-organize, that we all kind of just raised our hand for the bits and pieces we want to do, um, and that it was all wrangled as um as this kind of interesting nonprofit is to me it was fascinating business model. It's fascinating that this thing whole thing could be pulled together in such a way. And um, You know, my 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 hat's off to my buddy Seth for pulling it all together.
1: Yes, yes. I should also add, he's quite the audiophile, so if you have questions about your 70s stereo equipment, <laughs> he might be able to help you out. But yeah, there's no reason I can't do a bonus uh, episode. I I kind of write the rules here, you know?
0: <laughs> you have to ask the boss. And That's, I, right. That's take, right. Take off one hat and ask the other hat.
1: That's right? right. So, well, at marketingbookpodcast.com, we'll include links to everything linkable, including uh, all the books that have been mentioned, uh, your website, your LinkedIn profile, your your Twitter account. I'm not going to link to your Facebook account... (laughs) <laughs> for
0: for obvious reasons. Please, yeah, please don't. Yeah,
1: <laughs> But to the listener, I want to ask you a big favor, and we've kind of touched on it earlier. Please reach out in some way to David and congratulate him on this eighth edition and thank him for being a guest on the Marketing Book Podcast. Send him a message on LinkedIn or Twitter or his website or leave a comment on his blog. If nothing else, just thank him for, for putting up with me. <laughs> well, seven times, including an extra uh, eighth edition uh, on the marketers in quarantine getting cocktails. Yes, but uh, uh, guests fun. on the show, just like David, have told me how much they enjoy hearing from Marketing Book podcast listeners, and not just because Marketing Book podcasts listeners are so really, really, really ridiculously good looking, <laughs> just like just like David, the, the former model. So, and if you're listening on your smartphone and you've subscribed to the Marketing Book podcast on your favorite podcast app, like. Spotify, or Apple Podcasts, all these links can be found by going to this episode right now and clicking on this episode's website link. Closing quote from page 417. Thanks for hanging in there with me and for reading this far. (laughs) When I speak to audiences and run seminars on the new rules of marketing and PR, this is the point at which many people are stimulated to get out there and make it happen. They want to start a blog right away, shoot a video to embed in their site, do some news jacking, or begin buyer persona research in preparation for writing a marketing and PR plan that will guide them to create a content-rich website. If that describes you, great! But... In the audiences of my seminars and speeches, there is always another group of people who tend to feel a bit overwhelmed. There is just too much information, they say, or too many new and unfamiliar ideas. If you are in this category, you might be thinking that the people profiled in the book were able to figure out things that are just too complex and time-consuming for you to tackle, especially given your already hectic schedule. Hey, We all have stuff on our plates. And for most of us, implementing the ideas in the book will represent an addition to our workload. But here's one of the greatest things about the new rules of marketing and PR. You can implement these ideas in bits and pieces. In fact, I don't expect anybody to implement all the ideas here. I don't do that many of them myself. Okay, I admitted it. Don't tell. (laughs) Yes, I have a blog, and it is very important to me. I'm on Twitter, and I create some original videos. But I don't have a podcast, and I'm not active on Snapchat. I just do what I can and what works for me, and so should you. The book is The New Rules of Marketing and PR, How to Use Content Marketing, Podcasting, Social Media, AI, Live Video, Newsjacking to Reach Buyers Directly, 8th edition. The author is David Merriman Scott. David, thank you very much for joining us again on the Marketing Book Podcast.
0: My pleasure, Douglas. It's so great to be here.
1: And that closes the book on another episode of the Marketing Book Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and found it helpful. Special thanks to this episode's sponsor, Marketing Architects, creators of the all-inclusive TV advertising concept that's so revolutionary, they wrote a book about it. For a free copy of the book, All-Inclusive TV, How Booming Brands Are Reimagining TV Advertising, visit this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com or visit marketingarchitects.com book and tell them you heard about it on the Marketing Book Podcast. And if you're one of the legions of listeners who have left an iTunes review, please let me return your kind favor by mailing you some Marketing Book Podcast stuff. Just send me your mailing address anywhere in the world and I'll drop it in the mail. And remember the words of the late, great Jim Rohn who said: formal education will make you a living, self-education will make you a fortune.